0: Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Hey,
1: everyone, and welcome back to the Surge Strength Podcast. Hope you're having a great week. It's been a great week for us so far. We just co-hosted a webinar with Swim and Gold Medal Mel for coaches that are interested in becoming Surge Strength Dryland certified. It was really awesome. I hope you were able to join us. And remember every week too, you can check Swim on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're putting out regular Dryland articles. A lot of them coming right from the curriculum in the Surge Strength Dryland certification. And if not, If you haven't done so far enrolling and becoming Surge Strength, Dryland certified and getting those credentials. This is a great time. We're actually running some bonuses and specials over the next week or so, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. But the only way to know about these is you need to be on our email list. So if you're not already subscribed, go to surge-strength.com, scroll all the way down to the footer there, and then you could just subscribe to the newsletter and you'll get updates on the bonuses and specials. There's kind of different ones, different days in the next few weeks here, and encouraging coaches to raise their dryland IQ. It's such a powerful thing when you understand how to succinctly improve your dryland program, match it to your athlete's level, work on injury prevention, help them have greater mobility, so then you can make stroke changes more easily in the water, train more consistently in the water, and train harder and faster. So I hope you take advantage of that. Like I said, check your email for the bonuses and the special announcements on enrolling. And if you're not already subscribed, be sure and subscribe. Today, inside the Surge Strength Academy, we're going to be listening to one of the lessons that comes right from the Surge Strength Dryland Certification, and it's on asking the right questions. So this is actually uh, more at the beginning of the certification where we're kind of setting the stage where it's not just about dryland, but we're helping you think as a coach and make sure you're improving as a coach. Maybe you've been coaching 20 years, but do you have 20 years worth of experience or is it just one year repeated 20 times? So I break down how to ask better questions and why that actually helps you. And especially with something like dryland, where chances are you're either maybe confused about stuff or, well, maybe I did this as a swimmer. Maybe I've done this way as a coach, but I've never really moved out of this small circle of what I've done in terms of dryland programming. So we break that down a little bit more. And I love it when I interview coaches either on this podcast or other podcasts, the Swim Coaches Base podcast, and find coaches that are just lifelong learners. They're always trying to evolve And they realize maybe what I did worked as a swimmer or earlier in my coaching career. Maybe it worked okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was the best. And they're not closed off to learning new ways. And that's what's awesome for the coaches so far enrolled in the Surge Strength Drowning Certification. You can tell they are hungry to learn, to continue to educate themselves. As coaches take it seriously take it as a profession and make sure they're continuing to learn and especially with something like dryland where it can be confusing but it can also be so powerful when you get it so that's the inside the surge strength academy remember that audio is coming straight from the curriculum in the surge strength dryland certification so there is video components with it when you're enrolled in it and then lastly on dryland talk we're going back to a previous study session that we had, an SSDC study session where coaches that were in, in currently enrolled, we jumped on a webinar and it was just kind of an ask me anything, help them as they're going through the curriculum if they had any clarifying questions and some really good conversation. So we played one of the earlier parts of this study session a few weeks ago. So this is another part from that same study session. Inside the Serb Strength Academy. Asking the right questions is the topic I'm going to be talking about now. I love this quote from Alan Toffer. I read it a long time ago. I frankly don't even remember what book it was from, but the quote stood out to me like nothing else. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. I'm not sure what level of knowledge you have with Dryland coming into this, but Chances are probably the more knowledge you have, it might be hard to maybe relearn some stuff that isn't exactly what you were taught. And maybe whether that's, you know, you're way back in the 70s, 80s, 90s in terms of strength and conditioning what it was then and you haven't caught up to what it is now. Or maybe you're starting fresh and you really have no preconceived notions. That's great. It's probably going to be easier for you. But you're a coach and you're trying to help your athletes get better. And this is one way as a coach you can make sure you're getting better because as you get better. You're going to help your athletes get better. And I love this concept of being able to learn, unlearn, and then relearn. So as we go through the dry land, there's going to be parts where you pick up really fast, or maybe there's going to be ones that you struggle with. Maybe things are going to start to shift a little bit in a few years. But overall, the principles, they're pretty rock solid. That's not going to change. It's going to be the little bits here and there. And the quicker you're able to unlearn and then relearn, based on what you're seeing on the ground, that's gonna help you as a coach with your program. So no matter if you have a PhD in exercise phys, or again, you're just starting from ground zero, the biggest thing is to keep learning. One of the best ways you can keep learning is to ask questions and not be focused on knowing the right answer. Asking better questions is always better than having the right answers, I think. And I talk about this all the time. And so for comparison, I put in the same type of question, column A and column B. I think you'll be able to guess pretty quickly which column is the column of asking the better question. So number one, for example, what muscles is this exercise activating? That's one way to ask it. The other way is, what is that, a leg or chest exercise? So obviously we're trying to get deeper with question number one. There's a lot of things more than just like, oh, it's a bicep exercise. No, there's lots of other things that are involved with that, but you only know that if you're asking a better question as opposed to trying to just search for the answer. Another great one is like about the session. When have we achieved our goal this session? That's one way to ask it. Or another way is, are they tired enough from dry land yet? A lot of different ways of looking at that same situation. So keep trying to challenge yourself as a coach to ask better questions as we go throughout surge strength or even when you're out on deck coaching your athletes. What's the underlying weakness for this athlete is one way to look at it. Or another way is, why can't they do this exercise already? (laughs) Haven't I told them enough times? So keep asking better questions. I think it's going to help you grow as a coach to always ask better questions and looking for it. And remember too, I've heard this from coaches in all different sports, is that it seems the more they've been doing this, and especially the more success they've had, they look back and they feel like, man. I don't know that much. I feel like I'm knowing less and less as I go because they're uncovering more and more questions that sometimes they don't have answers for. So if you get that sense at all during Surge Strength as you're going through this dry line education, it's okay. Go back, watch the videos again a couple more times, go through the, the notes there in the slides, but it's okay, take it slow but then also to kind of enjoy the journey. All right, what's the next question I could ask? What can I dive into next? So don't beat yourself up too much if sometimes it's overwhelming, it's all right to slow down and go through it. But we're going to help you become a better coach at dryland so you could turn your athletes into better swimmers because they're better athletes.
0: Dryland talk. I had a couple of questions in the chat. If you want to do those or do you I got
1: I got one more question and then and then we got we'll have time for those. So yeah. Yeah, guys, we'll have time for uh, some questions. I went through these faster than I thought. So let me know if you need more clarification on any of these or if you have questions that have popped up, throw them in the chat, we'll have time for them. Um, Last question that we had submitted is about the transition from strength to power phase. Are there movements you prefer for power or does it strictly go by reps? For example, you have a 5RM back squat for the strength phase. Would you make it a 3RM for power phase or change movements to, say, a split squat? Do you have movements that you prefer specifically for uh, strength or power phases? So I guess when I was writing down my answers for this question, (laughs) I didn't even um, read it correctly because I answered some other stuff. I was thinking about what are the combinations you want for strength, power, but now I'm understanding what they really want. Um, I'll kind of answer both those actually. So. One of the things I showed too in the case study that I just published in modules uh, seven, I didn't really put it in the curriculum because I didn't want to confuse people too much is I actually have another step. So when here, so I was putting together the checklist, I almost put one more section, but I was like, I feel like that just might confuse a little bit too much, but I'm going to let you in on what I do in addition to the checklist and how I think that kind of helps put everything together. And then if you guys think, Oh, that's the best thing, Maybe we'll add it in if it's really helpful. I wasn't sure if it was going to muddy the water. So we do the season plan. We do the weekly plan, session plan. We talked about that. I actually have an in-between one too. And it's in between the season and the weekly plan. And you see it in the case study, especially with the master's athlete. Because again, training someone for two plus years, um, even though I start off with every client like that, when you get to two years in, you're kind of glad you did it this way looking back, is I'll always just write, I'll kind of figure out, okay, what phases am I going to do? Usually strength, strength, power, power. But then with him, we started really rotating sometimes every other week going strength, power, power. But what I would do is, um, and you'll see it in the the case study there, is I would write just the exercises that I want to do for the strength phase. And then I would kind of play around with, okay, if I'm doing this for the strength phase, what makes sense rolling over to the strength power phase? Because you don't want to I never want to start completely afresh with, you know, I have back squat and uh, pull up and push up in the strength phase. And then I don't have any of those in the strength power phase. I don't think that helps transfer and keep the adaptations going if I'm completely starting fresh on all the workouts. Again, if you have someone super advanced, maybe we could have a different conversation. But even that, I still feel there should be some continuity from the phases. You got to have at least some exercise that kind of thread through them. And so I would write all the exercises that I'm thinking of for the strength phase, nothing else, like not the reps, sets, anything else. I just want the exercises. Then I would start to play around with, okay, what ones do I really want to make sure I'm working? And most of the time for swimmers, it's pull up and deadlift. Like if if they can just get better at that, I feel almost everything else as a result starts to get better. So I would make sure from the strength phase to the strength power, I'm keeping pull up and deadlift. And then the other stuff I'm going to kind of fill in. Well, then for the power phase, I'm thinking, okay, well, what's really similar in that hinge category? Because I don't want to necessarily do the deadlift for the power. And so kettlebell swing works really good. Okay, hey, if I did the kettlebell swing for the strength power phase and super said that with the deadlift, that flows really well. So deadlift, deadlift plus kettlebell swing, kettlebell swing. So now you can see how I'm kind of threading it through the different phases. The same thing with the pull-up. I could go pull up on the strength phase. Strength power could go pull up, slam with the med ball, and then for power. I could either go pull-ups with like band, like the, or speed skiers, or I could superset speed skiers with pull-ups on the power or on the strength power. And then for power, just have speed skiers. So that's where you can start to see in bigger chunks of time. And so, especially if we're talking three phases, that's, uh, you know, you're pretty much a a phase a month usually. So now we're almost looking at a quarter of the year at a time. And especially for beginners, I feel like that's really important to see. All right, what what am I really trying to accomplish now, three months from now, four, five, six months from now? And just outlining those exercises out, I think really helps um, with that. And so um I don't I don't play favorites with <laughs> exercise necessarily. I think I'm looking at the movements, um, but I definitely want some some thread and continuity between phases. Again, that's not I'm just rolling over the same exercise in every phase, but I want, I want a few. And especially the the newer the athlete i feel like if i'm going to give a lot of time and energy and effort into having them have good technique why would i want to start over at zero with all new exercise the next phase like if you're not going to have the same level of output and intensity because now you got to teach all the technique again but obviously the more experienced and advanced the athlete is you're probably not going to have to teach as much so then it does make sense to change a little bit more so that's just where it all ebbs and flows um I have to say, when I first started strength training and writing programs, um, I think I very much looked at it like uh, X's and O's, ones and zeros, things like that. And now that I'm in it for so long, I almost look at it very much more like as an artist and kind of, I need to see some flow here with that. Um, So I just think that's interesting too. I don't know if everyone will have that experience, but I remember like with writing the workouts for Team Elite, I'd only been... I don't know, three or four years at that point, um, full time strength coach, personal trainer. And I remember I would spend an hour and a half, two hours sometimes writing that one hour weight room workout or maybe in 45 minutes um, because I, w- I wanted every little detail right. And now obviously I have a lot more experience and knowledge. I don't think it'd take that much time, but I would also really, I think, be more cognizant of staying in the moment in the session and seeing like what those athletes needed. And again, very different working with someone like that that's super advanced versus your high school athlete that has you know less than a year of experience that you're trying to work with them. Um, so that, that question ended up rambling a lot too. I'm not sure if anybody needs clarification on that one or we can just jump to the rest of the questions there.
2: Hang on one second. I just want, Jim, does that answer your question? Or do you have like a follow-up there? Yeah. Hey, Christy, I, I asked almost the same question. Thanks, uh, Jason. That, that My thing was about the transition between the phases and I was just, I'm catching up as you may notice on the on the web system on, on all the modules i just got through um i'm partly through module six now but uh
1: yeah you were speed racing there for a while jim
2: <laughs> yeah I, well I, I as i think i told you i just moved to a new state so i had a few weeks where life was about uh picking up and putting down and that yeah, kind of yeah. thing so uh, we're settled for a few days here in a hotel so i was trying to catch up and, anyway um, i think my, my my question to add on to that i love that explanation you gave me the answer to my question for the most part, the difference between the phases is the difference of how you transition through strength and power. Because I haven't seen that before. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that that is kind of missing for me and, and is okay just to understand. I don't see like Olympic lifts and the power traditional power lifts in the in the templates that I saw, but maybe I missed them. And my impression is that those are not something that you gravitate towards generally in the programming that you run and uh, the sort of strength, but but maybe that's for more of the elite athletes
1: later on. No, great question, Jim. So I would say like right now, one of our dryland coaches on staff, he, he almost builds things around Olympic lifts as much as he can. And that's his style. And that's great. That's not my style. Um, And especially for the high school population, I feel like I want to be very specific when and where I teach it. And also I know if I'm grading myself on skill sets to teach, I'm not the most expert at that. I can get you functional on some of those and and we can move along, but I also don't consider myself an expert. And I think that's probably why I don't tend to program a lot for it because I know it's not necessarily my strength. I've also found that I can get pretty similar results. I think Sam might argue with me, but I can get pretty similar results with far less time input on technique. And the amount of just skill level it takes to get to all right we're at a good hang clean now, even even just something as simple as that, I feel like I can kind of I've found some workarounds, and that gets me the results faster, and so I've kind of gravitated toward that um also too to be the other thing that's just a harsh reality for a lot of programs that we've worked with, they don't have access to that, so I think just over the years we're we're not programming for that because Okay, if I'm asking a team to pay, you know, money to buy equipment, it's usually like kettlebells and some mats and med balls and not like, hey, let's put down a couple grand for a couple couple platforms and bumpers here. Um, So I think that's a combination of that. I have nothing against Olympic lifts. I think they really have a place. Interesting example is with the team elite too. The guys, especially that came from Auburn, that was heavily in the program that PK did for them. And so we would do that and we didn't even really have platforms at half the places we were doing, but we made sure we were able to kind of fit it in and and work. Whereas there were other athletes in the group that had done Olympic lifting and almost always were getting hurt in season from that. And so that's where I really, that's where the, really the light bulb moment went off for me where I was like, okay, if you were always getting hurt. And I got eight months with you here. I'm not, I'm not taking that chance. So let's figure out something else. And, and it ended up having great results for a lot of them. So I, that's where I see, I, I could see both sides to it. And I think it's really almost a preference at that point, you know, which I want to do.
2: I, I got to say, Chris, I love it. And as I was going through, I was like, man, this is a program I could, I could do with most of the equipment that I think I could come across as, in, in, exactly. as I said, I'm i in a new location. I don't know what my coaching situation will be, but, but you know the programs i've been with before like a lot of clubs will have the kind of stuff you need they may not have the bars and the weights yet but right that's easier to work around on strength than it is to work around bumper plates and those things that you might not have yeah uh, and, and if you can accomplish that with also I, I agree with the instructional side of like the technique like mm. i can get you to do a safe, correct strength move at those kind of tempos a lot more quickly and repeat that over time than I, than I can a power move where I got to have eyes on you every single second, Yeah, to make sure you're not going to hurt yourself. And now we're talking 10, 20, 30 kids in a group <laughs> that gets hard to coach. So yeah. I've never felt safe doing anything more than very lightweight type stuff. And, you know, and i have even, you know, I'm, I'm a victim of avoiding the upper body work that you've yeah. shown me how to work into. Um, Cause I've been afraid of hurting kids. And so. And mm-hmm. Finding
1: ways to work around that's really been, been uh, eye-opening for me in this program. No, that's awesome, Jim. Yeah. Make in module seven, it's just on my mind. It's <laughs> just uploaded last night, but the case study on the college team that I worked with uh, in person in Portland, um, you'll see an example of uh, the freshman breaststroker doing a single arm dumbbell snatch with 70 pounds. And so like with that group, I feel no matter what level of athlete they were at, if you give me even one or two sessions with them, I can teach them a decent one-arm dumbbell snatch, even at 20, 25 pounds, right? And I feel like if I can teach them that in one session, that allows them, you know, 12, 16 weeks, whatever the season was to then work that and get it better because they're already competent. Like I'm not afraid they're going to hurt themselves. And it's a very easy exercise too. If for whatever reason, there's trouble, it's an easy one to just bail on because it's a one-arm dumbbell. Um, So that's an example too, where like that team was super green. Like we didn't even do all the phases because they were so beginner, but I got everybody to do a single arm dumbbell snatch. And then on the high end, I mean, doing 70 pounds overhead with one arm, like that's tough. (laughs) And so I feel like it's almost on the level sometimes of the difficulty that I don't have to take 10 times as long to coach and also have the equipment and other things like
0: that you joined the surge strength academy yet it's now free to enroll in the surge strength academy and raise your dryland iq visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the surge strength academy the goal of surge strength is simple build better athletes to generate faster swimmers